Welcome to Vacation Bible School, the grown-up edition. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did a little game with our hands about, you know, opening it up and seeing all the people inside the steeple. And uh, last week, we had a snack. Sorry if you missed it, but people complained it wasn't good enough. Uh, I said, well, you know, the budget's tight, so uh, we had lifesavers. But before the summer's over, we'll try to do better. Is that okay with you? Anybody? Anybody? I may ask you to bring your own, but we'll work on it, okay? All right. So today, uh, the, the element in the service that makes it Vacation Bible School is it's kind of uh, interactive. And there are a couple of different places uh, in the message and the rest of the service where we'll be all participating together. Is that okay, boys and girls? All right, we're going to do it anyway, so I hope it's okay. Today, we are uh, looking at the life of the prophet Isaiah, maybe the greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6, or there's a pew Bible there in front of you, and there's an index in the front, and you can find the book of Isaiah and the sixth chapter. Probably a dozen or so years ago, I heard a pastor that I greatly admired, John Ortberg, who now pastors Benlow Park Presbyterian Church in California, but then he was on the teaching staff at Willow Creek Church, and he did a whole series book by book through the Old Testament. And uh, it took almost a year. It was called the Old Testament Challenge, and the whole congregation followed through. And so I just gained so much from that. And today, the, the lesson on Isaiah was greatly influenced by John's uh, teaching and research, and I just want to give credit where credit is due. The good stuff is his, Okay. And, uh, and I'm praying that the Lord will use that and what he's placed in my heart to say to challenge us to worship authentically. Isaiah was powerfully used by God to give prophecies. We, we know several of his prophecies quite well because they're repeated in the New Testament. There's that first section from about chapter six through nine that we often refer to in Advent leading up to Christmas. It talks about, uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Then there's the other section, chapters 53 through 60, that talk about the suffering servant, and we read those and remind ourselves of them as we get closer to Easter. So what is it about Isaiah that made him so remarkable. I believe it's his calling. It's this encounter of worship with Almighty God that has been reflected in the songs we've already sung. The repeating theme has been holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's out of Isaiah chapter 6. If you have it, beginning with verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And then we're going to go on and look at the second section as well. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. We'll stop there. What an amazing uh, passage. What a fantastic encounter with the living God. Certainly, something happened in this that changed Isaiah and made him a powerful uh, instrument in the hands of a holy God. So, how does something like that happen? Well, I have a, a very simple question. Has anybody here ever participated in the activity commonly called channel surfing? You know how that works, right? You get, anybody ever do that uh, at, at length? <laughs> uh, I've heard it said that uh, women often like to see what's on and men like to see what else is on. That works at our house. That's the way it is at our house. Uh, what else is on? And so um, why is it that we do that when it doesn't really pay off all that much? Does anybody ever channel surf all evening long and just feel excited when you're done? You know, go to work the next morning, man, I channel surf for three hours and I'm a new man. You know, no, no, doesn't happen. We do it not because of what we get from it. We do it because it's easy. It doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't take any energy. Um, I can remember when you used to have to get up to change the channel, right? Now, the little bit of energy it takes to push the button, I mean, really, that's kind of the least we could do. Now, the reason I reference that is because sometimes when we do what we call worship, we want to do the least costly, easiest thing we can do. So we just kind of come on Sunday and put it on remote, and we sing whatever we sing, and if we like it, that's great, and if we don't, that's not so great, and if, if the pastor you know, says something that connects with us, then that was good, and if he doesn't, then that was bad, and basically, we channel surf through Sunday morning. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of us, if we're not careful, we channel surf uh, through the rest of the week, you know, in our, in our personal time with God. We just kind of go through the motions. Worship that transforms is costly worship. It, it takes more than just passivity. It takes engagement. It is a deliberate choice. It is a deliberate choice that we make every day and certainly every Sunday to say, I, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to engage. I'm going to understand that whatever happens up here in the front is kind of like prompting for us. Uh, but the real deal is the character and nature of Almighty God. And He deserves our 
very best, our highest praise, our best worship. And that's what Isaiah experiences and is transformed by. Not just paint by numbers, uh, you know, go through the motions, but rather this encounter where he gives all that he is to all that he knows of God and he comes into the presence of Almighty God in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's very important. Uzziah was one of the greatest kings of Judah. He came to the throne at the age of 16. He ruled for 52 years. Uh, Think of all the presidents there have been in America uh, in the last 52 years. You have to go back to Kennedy to start, right? And you count one after another, after another, after another to our our current president. In, in, In the kingdom of Judah, they had one in all that time. And he was a good king. He was a godly king. And he led them well, and they were secure, and they were prosperous. And then he died. And that's just like life, isn't it? We think we've got it going in the right direction, and then stuff happens. Trouble comes. Uh, our, our health isn't what it once was, or our, our job isn't going the way we wanted, or friends aren't there when we need them. And Uzziah dies. And it's what we do then that really is the most telling. Uh, because that's when we offer God what is commonly called the sacrifice of praise. Have you ever heard that? Anyone? The sacrifice of praise. Praise is not a sacrifice if your life is in, you know, bed of roses, all right? If, if you come in and you're all charged up, I love it when that happens. And, you know, good for you if you're in that place. Really good. But it doesn't stay that way. Life doesn't stay that way. Just like the prophet Isaiah, who lived in a world where the king died just when everyone was getting comfortable. So that happens in our world and in our lives. And the sacrifice of praise says, I will see who God is, not what's going on around me. I will put my eyes on the solution to my problem and not just on all of my problems. And we're transformed in that. So I want to challenge all of us to look at how Isaiah worshipped and then think about how we can worship. We've already made an investment this morning that cost us something. You may not have thought about it, but you did. Uh, You got up on Sunday morning when a lot of people didn't. Uh, You took the time and made the intentional choice to be here, to be with God's people. You probably paid for some gas and put a few miles on your vehicle and you came with people you care about and you are in the house of the Lord here to worship him. Good for you. Turn to somebody and say, good for you. (laughs) Do you feel encouraged? I hope so. You made an investment. Now, here's the rest of it. Now we make an investment as we listen, as we pray, as we sing, as we worship. I can sit back and let it all just happen, or I can lean in and participate. I can give God the sacrifice of praise, the gift of concentrated, sustained attention on God alone. 
not on my life, not on my problems, not even on the mechanics or the persons leading us in worship, but on the one we worship, the Lord who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And when we put our focus on him, we are changed, just like Isaiah was changed. God's glory is so great that these angels actually act out uh, worship before him. They have six wings, the scripture says, and with two they cover their eyes. Why? Now, the Bible says we cannot see the full glory of God and live. He is so magnificent, so perfect and splendid and resplendent that to see him would destroy us. So uh, they cover their eyes. And with two, they cover their feet. Uh, the feet in Scripture are a symbol of our humanness, our humanity. And there's a humility in covering their feet. And with two, they fly and they cry to each other, holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, there's really a very few ways, especially in written Hebrew, to emphasize something. Uh, Hebrew script is almost like one long run-on word. Um, there's no punctuation. The way to emphasize something is to repeat it. So if something is very important, uh, the Hebrew culture repeats it twice. Have you ever heard, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you? Right? The words of Jesus. He's saying, listen up, this is important, I'm going to repeat it. Only one time in Scripture is an attribute of God repeated three times. It's here. Holy, holy, holy. I think there's two aspects to that. One is just the, the intended emphasis. There is no God like our God. He is perfect and other, that's the word, the Hebrew word kadash. We think of holiness as moral perfection. That's our tradition. As a, as a free Methodist church, that's one of our emphases is that, that we want to live a pure and holy life to honor a pure and holy God. But holiness, this word kadash, is more than that. It's bigger than moral purity. It is otherness. It is awesomeness. We cannot comprehend. We are who we are, and God is astounding. He is Kadesh. Holy, holy, holy. He takes our breath away. I was trying to think of a moment that could somehow illustrate what that's like. You know, some, some experience in this world that gives us just a hint of that. I remember the first time I ever went in to the big house in Ann Arbor when it was full of like 100,000 people and I walked out through the tunnel with a friend. I'd never been there before, never been in a crowd that big and it actually caught my breath. That and, and uh, you know, go blue. Uh, I know, that's a, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, meddle. Well, yeah, I did, but anyway. Um, there was that, that was a little one. Then there was uh, the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? You walk up to the edge of that, and it is amazing. 
And then there was Nancy and I and our kids sitting five miles from, I think it was then Cape Kennedy, now back to Cape Canaveral. It's one o'clock in the morning, February of 1995. I still remember it when the shuttle launched and the sky lit up and everything shook and the clouds were on fire and it was breathtaking. And all the cars around us and all the people, everybody started honking their horn like we weren't going to make it go any faster. You know what I mean? But people were just like, whoa, I have never seen anything like that. Whoa. That's a, that's a tiny bit, right? That's a tiny bit of what this is like to say, holy, holy, holy. And of course, we know that there's this backstory to that holy father, holy son, holy spirit, this, this hint of Trinitarian truth that's in this passage. And so for all these reasons, because God is amazing, God is beyond us, above us, and transforms us, we join with the song of the angels and we sing it and we say it. And my prayer is that we mean it from somewhere down deep inside. We lean into it. We choose to enter in to this glorious song. Holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. Take my breath away, God. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Everywhere I look, I see little hints of your glory. Glory be to thee, to you, O God, most high. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. It cannot contain your glory. You are the God that deserves my worship and my praise and my life in response back to you. And I say that because we're going to take some time and participate. And I, and I want to invite you to give whatever for you today is costly worship. Don't, don't just channel surf, okay? The worship team is coming back. and um, One of my favorite worship songs... Um, it's one of the neat things about being pastor. Every once in a while, you get to sing one of your favorites, right? <laughs> one of my favorites is uh, what's called Revelation Song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I get to enter into Isaiah's experience and pray that somehow in that moment, I'm lifted and I'm changed and I see myself and I see my life differently. So would you stand and would you join as we worship with the angels today? We'll pick up back up with this passage in the fourth verse after Isaiah has experienced this awesome holy God. He has a very interesting response. Um, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke and what did he say? Let's read it out loud. Woe to me, I cried. Isn't that interesting? You know, the prophets spoke woe as a, as a statement of judgment on the nations who were against God. So it's woe, Chorazin, for instance, in a famous passage. Here, he's the only one who says woe to me. Why? Read it out loud. I am ruined. For I am a man of, and I live among a people of, and my eyes have seen 
The Lord Almighty. Isn't that interesting? When I see the King, the Lord Almighty, and then I see myself, I get it. I get it. I am far gone. I am ruined. I am wrecked. I see the truth about myself. Oh, I, don't, I don't have to debate the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Like Scripture says, I know it. I know it. It's, it's the truth about us. It's just like he says, I am ruined for I have unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Just imagine if the worst moment of your life, your lowest place, uh, morally, where you did or said or thought something terrible, if we put that up on the big screen, you would not want to be here. And neither would I. And so, you know, Isaiah is like crushed by the fact that he is far gone, that he is a sinful person in need of the forgiveness of a holy God. Even in this Old Testament passage, it anticipates the New Testament, the coming of Christ, the one perfect payment for the sins of the whole world, including mine, including yours. And so the passage describes what happens. He he sees and understands how far gone he is, how morally broken he is, how lost he is. And God intervenes, you know. If, If we were just stuck there, If we were just stuck with all the wrong we've ever participated in, what would we do, you know? It would just destroy us. But God intervenes. The angel takes a live coal and brings it to Isaiah. And he touches him. And where does it say that he touches him? He touches him on his his mouth, on his lips. Can you, anybody here want to do that? Well, you know, it's probably one of the most sensitive places we could ever have something hot and burning touch our body, and yet the Lord does that. And, and remember, he said, I have unclean lips, and the Lord touches his lips. I am, a, I am a broken, sinful person, and in the place of my brokenness, in the place of my sin, the holiness of God touches me and reaches out to me in healing grace. But isn't it interesting that a burning coal is the, is the symbol it hurts. Some people think, well, I, I want to be a Christian because it's the life that doesn't hurt, never hurts, you know. Uh, I don't think so. In fact, I know that's not true. Uh, real confession and repentance hurts. It is facing what I've done and what I've not done that I should have. And many times it is going to those people I've wronged and saying I was wrong and I'm sorry and I need forgiveness and I want to change. I remember those times when I made restitution. When I went back to the store I shoplifted from as a kid and said, you know, I took this and, and I need to pay you back and, and I was wrong. That was good for me. That was character building for me. That's what the burning coal is all about. I've been a pastor long enough now to know there are people who come and they just kind of, you know, tritely check off their list of confession, you know. I I just want to tell God so that it's checked off my list and he can't hold it against me. It's kind of like holy math or something. Uh, Confession is not bookkeeping. 
It is brokenness. It is, I am an unclean person and I live with a world full of unclean people and I cannot fix myself and no matter how hard I try, I do again the thing I said I wouldn't do and the only hope for me is God in Jesus Christ. And my worship brings me to my knees. You know, most of the time here when we sing, we stand. We stand because we use our body's posture to represent something important, which is we're in the presence of God. We're going we're gonna to stand in His presence. But there are times when, you know, the same presence of God makes me get on my knees. And sometimes on my face. Because that's all I know how to do in the, in the reality of what I've said and done that I know that I shouldn't. And, you know, that's just the truth about all of us, if we were just honest. And, you know, we, we tend to minimize the wrong about us and, and sort of maximize anything good about us. And the truth is that apart from Jesus, there is no good in us. But he, by his Holy Spirit, imparts the goodness of God into our lives and begins to change us and transform us. But it always comes down this painful road of confession and repentance before God. And his coal touches our lips and we let him. And so I'd like to take a moment and participate together in some humble confession before God. Would you pray with me? Lord, in your word you say we should wash our hands and purify our hearts. You tell us to grieve and mourn and wail because we are so far gone so that we will find forgiveness and grace. And so today, in this moment, we don't want to pretend or hydroplane over things that need to be dealt with. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, we pray that. Person we've recently wronged, something we've said or done, we need to make right. An unholy pattern or habit got a grip on us. Forgive us. Guide us down the road to true repentance, the godly repentance that leads to forgiveness. And may we, may we dare to walk into this painful but holy place not just now and then, but consistently, faithfully, as you walk with us and we walk with you. Teach us the discipline and the grace of confession, repentance, renewal. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who paid the sin penalty for us and makes us free and speaks forgiveness and life 
and grace into our hearts. Lord, we receive that word, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for because in Jesus Christ it has been and we receive that right now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, it's important when we've confessed to the Lord to receive that, that word, your, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I love that. Well, I want to close by uh, speaking briefly about the very end of the passage. The, the scripture goes on to tell us that once this happens and the coal is applied and, and Isaiah is changed in that moment, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, what did he say? Here am I. Let's do that again. And I said, here am I, send. <laughs> I love that, don't you? Why do you think God said, who will I send? Who will go for us? By the way, there's another Trinity moment. Us, right? Who's the us? God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who will go for us? God is giving Isaiah a chance to volunteer. Like, he could have just said, go, <laughs> go for me. I don't know what Isaiah would have done, but he doesn't. He says, who will go? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And that is the way worship should always end. You know, I'll go. If there's a broken place in this world and I can do something about it, I'll go. If there's somebody in my neighborhood that is far from God and nobody likes and they're hard to get along with and they don't pick up their trash cans, are you with me on this? They know I'll be the one, right? There's, isn't there always somebody? If there isn't, it might be you. <laughs> Just a thought. There's always somebody who's a bit of a challenge. And the Lord says, who will I send and who will go for us? And I say, here am I, send me. And in a place on the outskirts of one of the most broken cities in America where there's racial tension and strife and social and economic stress day after day, week after week. You know, here we are. And I don't, and I don't like it, right? And I'm not asking for it. I, I'm, I'd really rather avoid it if at all possible. But, you know, then, then I hear that voice. Who will... I send, and who will go for me? Who has a chance to be part of the solution instead of continuing to be part of the problem? That would be me. And we live in such a broken world. I mean, I was just reading from uh, Acts chapter 8, which connects back into this passage from Isaiah because in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 56, uh, Isaiah is told by God to go to the foreigners and to tell them that if they want to serve the Lord, they are welcome. And he says, and go to the eunuchs who say, I am nothing but a dry tree, right? Because they've been uh, sexually mutilated and they don't have whole bodies anymore. He says, go to the eunuchs and say, you are welcome here. And then we read this follower of Jesus named Philip is led by the Spirit on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza. And he meets this man, and he is an Ethiopian foreigner, eunuch. 
whose body is not perfect. And he goes up to the chariot at the prompting of the Holy Spirit and asks him what he's reading. And bonus points, if you know the book the man was reading. Isaiah, there you go, you get the bonus over here, whoever that was. Isaiah, this prophet, right? He's reading Isaiah, and, and uh, Philip explains how the Messiah fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, and the Ethiopian, outside foreigner, eunuch, broken person, excluded, mocked, is included, and he gets baptized. And that's us. That's who we are. We're the people that say, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you're welcome here. You are in with us. <laughs> it's like, anybody here ever play hide and seek? What do you say at the end when everybody's supposed to come back? You say, ollie, ollie, oxen free. ollie, ollie, oxen free. Uh, it actually comes from uh, all the, all the outs are free. That's what it really, all the, all the outs are free. You are you know, you're free now. That's what Jesus says to us. That's what he said into Isaiah. That's what he says through us to a broken and needy world. So we're going to close. <laughs> I thought you, you thought it'd never end. It's going to end, okay? It's going to end. And here's where it's going to end. It's going to end with looking around at the world we live in and saying, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And that's a, that's a scary thing to do. You know, that's a bit of a blank check, isn't it? <laughs> Amen, it is. And that's exactly what God wants from us. And he takes that and he takes our willingness and he does what none of us can do. He does what only he can do. So would you stand with me? Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us into a broken world. Send us across the street and down the block and across town. Send us. Where there is brokenness, where there is division, where there is suffering and pain and we can do something about it, send us. Lord, we pray for the people of Israel today that, the, that somehow the goodness of God would protect them and we also pray for the people of Palestine, especially the Christians in Palestine, that you would have your hand of protection on them. And we pray for the peace of that part of the world. Lord, we've heard this week of the Christians in Iraq who are being systematically exterminated uh, because they, they're Christians in a place that doesn't welcome Christians. Lord, we pray right now your divine grace to protect them and to make them strong no matter what. And we pray that the spirit of Jesus that lives in them would also live in us and we would be courageous even unto death. Lord, we think about um, Guinea and Sierra Leone, this place where Ebola has broken out. And we know there are believers there. I was thinking today about the churches that are meeting there. And they must be afraid to touch each other. Or even to gather. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring healing and protection around them and 
Thank you for every courageous person who has gone there to be part of the solution. And now many are having to leave. Here am I. Send me. Some of us work in a place where it is hard to speak up for our faith. Or we go to a classroom or go to a school or will be soon. Where it's not very popular to follow Jesus. But people need you there. And in the real world where we all live and work and play. Somebody needs to go. And I pray that in all our singing and all our clapping and enjoying your love and your goodness, that there will be something shifts inside us that says, I will go. Here I am. In your name we pray. Amen.